Yeah, okay, here we go. Complicated business, this. I've got to open up my notes. Um, please open up your Bibles to Psalm 147. So at the moment we're preaching through these last few Psalms in the book of Psalms and we're going to read, and we're going to read Psalm 147 together. Uh, it's on page 632, 632. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determined the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble, but casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes the grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor is his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Extol the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. So let's pray. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you uh, for your words. And Lord, we ask that, that today you would show us Christ. Lord, would you, you fill our hearts with a greater love and appreciation of all, all that he is, all who he is. Set our hearts on fire, we pray. More for our Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Okay, so please have Psalm 147 open in front of you. I wonder what makes you sing. Oops. Hold it. Outside of singing hymns to Jesus, okay, singing in church, when was the last time you sung in response to something? Maybe it was a football match, of course. Maybe it was a a live music event. Now, some of you know that I write songs mostly about Jesus, but actually, one of the first songs I wrote was a love song for Tamsin. 
So sing I was. It. Sing it. I can't remember actually. I'm going to sing a song in a minute, but it's a different song. Uh, so I was living in Turkey. I was there for a couple of years. Tamsin was here. We were engaged, and I thought, hang on, she might forget. She might forget me and go off to someone else. So I thought I write her a song, a love song, and um, obviously it worked. Praise God. Um, now maybe it's a little sad. Oops. Go back. How do we go back? Go back. Go back. Yeah, we'll come to the chicken burger in a minute. There we go. Maybe it's a little sad, but one of my favourite films is Babe. Of course, Babe. Um, it's a film about a small piglet who turned out to have an amazing ability to round up sheep. Uh, he was not a sheep dog, he was a sheep pig. Um, but I especially love the end of the film, where the farmer, in response to, to his, um, his pet, his little pet pig, he wins this prestigious award at a sheepdog trial. And he's so happy that he sings him a song. I'm going to sing this to you in a minute. He delights in his faithful porky pet. <laughs> if I had words, I'd make a day for you. I'd give you a morning, golden and true. I would make this day last for all time. Then fill the night deep in moonshine. What a pretty song. <laughs> and then he dances a jig. He's very happy. I love, I love this one. Pretty cool. <laughs> What makes you sing? Of course, Jesus makes us sing. But maybe a more important question coming to Psalm 147 is this. What do you think makes God sing? Hang on, you say, surely this psalm is all about us singing. Verse 1, praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to him. Verse 7. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music on our harp. Uh, make music to our God on the harp. Verse 12. Extol the Lord Jerusalem. Praise your God Zion. And then at the end of verse 20. Praise the Lord. Surely this time is all about us singing, not God. Well, that's true. And here comes the chicken burger. And don't worry, no pig- piglets were harmed. <laughs> I nearly put up a bacon sandwich, but I didn't. Sometimes, a lot of the time, in the Psalms and in the Old Testament, the idea found in the middle of the text gives us the key to understanding the text as a whole. The key idea is in the middle, just like a juicy chicken burger. Now, throughout the Psalm, I don't know if you noticed, but we're told again and again what God does and what God is like. And most of the, in English at least, most of the lines start with he. And then tells us something about God. And we're going to dig down into that in a bit. However, when you get to the central verses, verses 10 and 11, we're told something different. We're not told what what God does or what he's like. We're told what brings him delight. What, if you like, makes God sing. And the key to understanding this psalm and understanding the importance of us singing is understanding what brings him delight, what makes him happy, what makes him sing for joy. But what makes him sing? Well, have a look at verses 10 and 11. And uh, maybe the answer is not um, the one you're expecting. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. 
So what makes God sing? It's going to fly ahead of me. Can we go forward one? What makes God sing? Fear. Fear makes God sing. Verse 11. The Lord delights in those who fear him. Now that might seem a strange thing to say. Um, Why would God be interested in us being scared or fearful of him? Especially when this psalm is all about singing his praise. It doesn't make sense, does it? But what I want us to see today from this psalm is not only what it means to fear God and why fearing God brings him delight, but why a fear of God is foundational if we are to be those who delight to sing his praise, both to him and to others as well. So if the question, what makes you sing, is not first and foremost the Lord Jesus or the gospel, or you find, find it hard to open your mouth and declare the praise of all who God is and all he's done to others, the root of the problem may be a lack of the fear of God in your life. But what is the fear of God? First, let's think of the word fear. So what is fear? Google says fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the threat of danger, pain or harm. Basically, fear makes you scream and run away. Can anyone give me a good scream? (laughs) Wow, come on. Thank you. Great. Yeah. I'll get you there a few times. Now, according to um, a website that I came across last week. Here are the most 10 common fears in America. Glossophobia, fear of public speaking. I have that at the moment. (laughs) Acrophobia, fear of heights. Entomophobia, fear of bugs and insects. Acrophobia, fear of drowning. Trypanophobia, fear of blood and needles. Claustrophobia, fear of enclosed spaces. Aviophobia, fear of flying. Especially if you're flying over the Hudson. (laughs) Xenophobia, fear of strangers. Kinemorphophobia. Any guesses? Fear of zombies. Yeah. Could only be America. And nyctophobia. That's not fear of me. Fear of the dark. Uh, and if you were to look up the most common fears in the UK, you could add to the list ophidophobia, fear of snakes, which is a bit strange because we don't have any, and chorophobia, which is the fear of clowns. I don't understand either. Basically, when fear kicks in, at the best we freeze, we cringe, we avoid, or we scream and run away. But what about the fear of God? Theophobia. When we think of all uh, all who God is, should it elicit in us that same emotional fight and flight response? Is the fear of God just another phobia to add to the list? Is this what he wants? Is this what makes him sing? There are two things in this psalm, Psalm 147, that help us understand what the fear of God actually is and why it is foundational both to to us and God uh, singing with delight. And we're going to look at those two things. The first is this. The fear of God recognises that God 
is a sovereign judge. So I don't actually like flying very much. And um, maybe one of the reasons is that one of my favourite TV programmes is Air Crash Investigation. <laughs> maybe there's a connection there. But, um, it's a programme, if you don't know it, that they, they kind of look into why planes crash and loads of people die. And I think there was one, I watched one on, on the Hudson plane crash, um, which was quite interesting. Um, but actually, if you look into it, a fear of flying is unfounded. You are hundreds, if not thousands, more times likely to die walking along the street or crossing the road than you are to die in a plane crash. It's unfounded. However, when we look at Psalm 147, there are plenty of reasons that when it comes to God, a natural response might be to scream ah! and run away. Thank you, Gary. So... The last few psalms in the book of Psalms, 144.6 to 150, are thought to be written as God's people dedicate the building of the second temple in Jerusalem uh, that was built in the days of Ezra. Now, those of you who are on camp, I think you should know who Ezra is. Yeah? Um, What was the exile? Did you look at the exile? The older ones did. Okay, so the exile was one of the scatterings. So you looked at the scatterings. The exile was one of the scatterings. It was an horrific act of judgment by God on Israel, his, his people in the Old Testament. They had been rescued um, by him from slavery in Egypt and been taken into a land flowing with milk and honey. And they had been given his word for them to obey. But time after time, and in increasing measure, they turned their backs on him. To the point where they were doing the same shameful things the nations who were driven out before them were doing. (coughs) They had turned their backs on him. They would rebelled against him. They had dishonoured him. Replaced him with other gods who were no gods at all. And so they came face to face with his rightful judgement. They were kicked out. They were scattered. Scattered among the nation. Among the nations. And that's our problem when it comes to God. Look at what the psalm says about him. Verse 4, he says that um, he is our creator. He created the universe, all that was within it, the stars. But it also includes us as well, which means we are accountable to him. Uh, We were made, the Bible says, to know him and obey him. But unfortunately, just like the people of Israel in the Old Testament, we are no different. We too turn our backs on him, we rebel against him, we dishonour him with our thoughts, our words, our actions. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, says Romans 3. The problem gets worse in verse 5, where it says that he is infinitely powerful and knows everything. Verse 5, great is the Lord and mighty in power, his understanding has no limits. When I was growing up, I tried to keep a careful balance between doing things my mum didn't want me to do and making sure she didn't find out. Sometimes I would fail miserably, uh, but sometimes I would be quite successful. Like the time when I was, I was quite young and um, I didn't want to eat my fish fingers and I managed, to, I managed to throw them down the back of a radiator <laughs> without her noticing. Praise God. 
about 15 years later, doing some decorating, I came across them. <laughs> Good dried and shriveled. I managed to get them in the bin without I seen. Bonus, brilliant. Now, the reason I could get away with things um, that my mum didn't want me to do was because actually, my mum, here's a tip for you guys, my mum didn't know everything. She did seem to know mo- uh, everything most of the time. But that is not true of God. He does know everything. He is not far off. We see throughout this psalm that he's intimately involved in creation. We see how he is the one who calls the shots in the universe. He decides what happens from the distant, most distant star to the tiniest drop of dew on a blade of grass. But we see that our problem gets even more serious in verse 6 where we read that God is a judge. Verse 6, he sustains the humble but casts or throws the wicked to the ground. God is a judge. He knows everything. He is infinitely powerful. He decides what what takes place in his universe. And for the sinner who has turned their back on God, and that is all of us, that makes God very dangerous. Israel experienced that as they were sent into, uh, into exile. But it's also a warning for us. As the Bible speaks of a day when every person who has ever existed and who will ever exist will stand before him and give an account of how they've lived. God is a sovereign judge. And so it's not a surprise when we go back to the account of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve in the garden just having disobeyed the one command he gave them. What was the very first thing they did? Yeah, they, they ran away. They hid from him. And in the right sense, in a sense, it's, it's right to fear him in this way because he is Lord, God and judge. He is our creator. We are accountable to him. He has commanded us to love him and to love our neighbour. The two things we continually, obstinately fail to do. And one day we will all stand before him and give an account of how we've lived. Every careless deed, word, thought will be brought out into the open on that day. It will be a day of immense fear and regret as sinners. And we are all sinners will come face to face with God who will not just cast the wicked to the ground, but bring on unforgiven sinners a judgment that will last forever. And no one will be able to run away and hide as all unforgiven wickedness is exposed and God acts in, every, uh, in judgment against every unforgiven sin. It's a serious thing. But again, it brings us back to the question, is this what the fear of God is all about? Is the fear of God just something to scare us into conforming? To scare us into obeying God. So while biblical fear does include an appreciation of the the power and holiness of God. And the seriousness, seriousness of sin. There is another side to the fear of God that we must understand. Because the fear of God is also the correct response to God's unfailing love. And this is the second thing. The fear of God recognises that God is a loving saviour. 
So many of you will know that, that Gareth and I work full-time at the church. We're employed by London City Mission. And uh, most of the week we're here at church or around in the community. And um, once in a while we're up in our study and Luke will knock on the door and he'll come with a really serious face and he'll say, Nick, I need to have a word with you. Can you come into my office? And I think, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> um, but actually, uh, he doesn't want to tell me off. He actually just wants to either thank me for something I've done or give me a gift or something like that. Most of the time, anyway. Um, this psalm is a little bit like that. Although his people deserved nothing good from God, you can see how God's goodness is woven throughout the psalm. So look again at verse 2. What does it say? The Lord builds up Jerusalem and gathers the exiles of Israel. So there's the gathering that you learned at camp last week. He's scattered, but now he's gathering. This is what happens 70 years after getting kicked out of the land. They are graciously brought back. Verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The reason they were wounded was because of their sin. God had brought judgment upon them, but now he is bringing them back. He is gathering them. He is restoring them. Look at verse 13. He's now strengthening and blessing them as a people back in Jerusalem. They've just built the second temple. They're dedicating it. They're dedicating God's goodness to them. Verse 14. Once again, he defends in their favour, granting them peace on every side. Satisfying them with good things, even though they deserve the opposite. This is what they'd experienced as God brought them back from exile. But this is our experience as Christians, isn't it? Despite being guilty as charged, deserving judgment for our sin, in Christ we have received mercy. We've received grace. We've received forgiveness. We've, we've received the gift of eternal life. Though we shamefully dishonoured him the Christian has been given the honour of being welcomed into his family as a loved child not because we deserve it or we're good but because he is full of love and grace so even when you think back to the garden of Eden at the very moment when Adam and Eve sin they're about to get kicked out of the garden what does God do? he promises to send a saviour He clothes them with a sacrifice and takes away their shame. And right throughout the Bible, you've got these two themes interwoven together. God as sovereign judge, but at the same time, God as a loving and merciful saviour. He saves those who trust in his unfailing love. Sin is deadly serious. He casts the wicked to the ground But God is a God who forgives sin, rebellion and wickedness. So we see that in this psalm. We see it looking back through the Old Testament. But we also see it looking forward to the Lord Jesus. We see these two same characteristics found in his life. In what he did and what he said. We see him as a sovereign judge. As he casts out demons. 
as he turns over the tables of those misusing the temple for their own purposes. As he speaks words of, of judgment to the religious leaders who are plotting to take his life. As he warned of, of the seriousness of sin and the coming judgment. Later on in the book of Revelation it says this of Jesus. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Jesus is the same Lord. He is the sovereign judge. But we see him in the Gospels forgiving sin. Healing the sick, raising the dead, setting people free from their bondage to Satan. Speaking words of incredible hope to the hopeless. And ultimately paying the price for our sin as he dies in the place of sinners having been shamefully beaten and crucified. And it's at the cross that you see most clearly how brutally serious sin is. As the father pours out his judgment on the son he loves for the sin that I've committed. But how amazingly loving and merciful he is as that very act of judgment on the Lord Jesus was what brought me life. And it's our response to these two aspects of God's nature. To these two aspects of the Lord Jesus that defines what it means to fear him. And that's why verse 11 reads as it does. Look at verse 11 again. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. So what does it mean to fear God? Well, according to verse 11, to fear God doesn't mean that we scream and run away. No, we draw close to him as we hope in his unfailing love. The fear of God, while it recognises the, the seriousness of sin and the all-pervasive awesomeness of God, or as, as our friend Andy puts it, the awfulness of God, full of awe. Biblical fear draws us close as we recognise that he is full of love, full of compassion, full of mercy and welcomes sinners who humbly trust him. And that is why God delights when we fear him. When we come to Jesus, trusting him as our Lord and Saviour, God rejoices and sings for joy. And that's why you have that lovely verse in the book of Zephaniah that speaks of those who will come from every nation and call on the name of the Lord Jesus. It says this, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great Delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And that's why when you look back to verse 10, you've got this strange reference to God not delighting in the strength of a horse or the legs of a warrior. What's that all about? Well, throughout the story of the Bible, the, the, the people of God, the people of Israel, often rebelled and rejected God by relying on their military strength or the armies of other nations. Rather than trust him to get them out of trouble, they relied on themselves. So the, the strength of the horse and the legs of a warrior are just another way of saying, Lord, I'm doing life on my own without you. I'm going my own way, thank you very much. 
the problem is that when we declare independence against God out of his justice, he must declare independence against us. And that does not bring him joy. Like it says in 2 Peter, he does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that's why he sent Jesus, that we might turn to him and be forgiven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have everlasting life. The fear of God looks to Jesus, recognises God is a sovereign judge, but recognises that God is a loving saviour. So he doesn't scream and run away, but draws close and hopes in his unfailing love. Praise God. But here's the question, okay? And very briefly, here's the question. How do I know that I really fear God? Am I someone over whom God is singing songs of joy? Well, very, very briefly, and it is very brief, five practical signs from this psalm that you will see in someone's life if they truly fear God. There you go. Cool. The first is this. Sorrow over sin. Verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted. To be brokenhearted means to be deeply sorry about something. And in the context of this psalm, it means to be sorry about sin, especially our own sin. The one who fears God recognises the hurt and pain that sin brings to God and the effect it has on others. And it confesses it to him. Just like King David did when he wrote Psalm uh, Psalm 51. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. So the one who fears God turns often to God in prayer and has a frank, honest, possibly tearful, face-to-face conversation about sin. Not complaining about other people's sin. But mourning your own sin. The one who fears God uses the Bible to examine their lives in the light of what God has revealed in his word. Is that something you have done? Is that something you do on a regular basis? The second thing. Humbly turning to God. Verse 6 again. The Lord sustains the humble but casts the wicked to the ground. Here the word humble basically means to have a correct sober view of ourselves in relation to God I am the creature you are the creator therefore you must be in charge godly sorrow says in New Testament leads to repentance it leads to us turning to God we turn from sin we turn from the lordship of our own lives to Christ as Lord is that something you have done is that something as Christians we are doing every day putting Jesus number one That's what it means to fear God. The third thing, hopeful trust in Jesus. Verse 11, the Lord delights in those who put their hope in his unfailing love. The Lord Jesus said right at the beginning of his ministry, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who has humbly turned to Jesus while trusting His work on the cross for the forgiveness of their sin. The reason as Christians we get to go to heaven is not because we're good people. It's because Jesus died in our place. Our hope is in his unfailing love. 
Our salvation is solely based on the death and resurrection of Jesus, received by faith, not by works. There is no other way, there is no other hope than Jesus. And it's good to ask, have you put your hope in the fact that Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you hoping in his unfailing love? Have you drawn close? Or are you someone who screams and runs away? Number four, growing obedience. Another sign that someone truly fears God is that their life is marked by a growing obedience. Look down at verses 19 and 20. It says there that God is a God who reveals his word. He he revealed his word to his people back in the day. He had done that for no other nation. But since Jesus, his word is for people from all nations. He calls everyone to the repentance and obedience that comes from faith. The sign that somebody is trusting in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour is that they are slowly growing in obedience to Jesus, their Lord and Saviour. So the one who fears God is the one who, who reads the Bible daily, seeking for God's help to put it into practice. He sustains the humble. Not to earn forgiveness, but as a result of being forgiven. And the last thing, a sign of the fear of God is grateful praise. <laughs> this is what the psalm's all about, actually. <laughs> so here the sermon starts. Um, Verse 1, it's good, pleasant and fitting to praise God. It's the right thing to do. The one who knows they have been saved by Jesus will find it a joy to sing to Jesus. It's why in verse 7, praise is defined as grateful praise. Singing is a mark of gratitude to Jesus because he has saved us. Whereas the one who has not been forgiven really has no reason to sing. And if verses 1 and 7 have an upward direction with us singing praises to the Lord. Verse 12 has got this idea of of, um, an outward direction of praise. With this word extol. The idea of us corporately commending the Lord to others. Which is why a... A lasting passion for reaching out to others with the gospel has its roots in the knowledge and gratitude of being saved by him. Just like Jesus said of that woman who poured her perfume out over his feet. She loves much because she's been forgiven much. Gratitude shapes our lives for the Lord Jesus. So if we're struggling with with evangelism or sharing our faith with others what is the solution the solution is to come back and have a good hard look at the cross to understand what Jesus has done for me then I will be compelled to take the gospel out to others when we think about all that he done for us on the cross it won't be long before we're singing his praise and telling others that old old story of Jesus and his cross so this is the fear of God It doesn't make you scream and run away. It brings us close. Uh, Our God is a God who saves. He loves to save. Um, When we fear him, we don't scream and run away. We trust in his unfailing love. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you again for your Son, the Lord Jesus. The image of the invisible God, like we were thinking earlier. The firstborn over all creation. Lord of the universe. Yet full of love. Came to lay his life down. That, that, that you might have mercy upon sinful people like us. We are so grateful for the Lord Jesus. We are so grateful for the cross. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to fear you day by day. Lord, please would you, you create in us a, a greater sorrow for sin. Would you help us daily to turn from our sin and to trust in Christ more and more. Lord, would you help us would you sustain us in, in, a, in a growing obedience to your Son, the Lord Jesus? And Lord, would you help us to be those who, who continually open our mouths in praise to you uh, and about you to others? Father, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to stand to sing a couple of songs. As we looked at Psalm 147, I hope and pray that just put a passion in us to praise. So we're going to sing a couple of songs back to back about the Lord Jesus and his cross.
for the glory of your Son, Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Take coffee around, and um, if you haven't got somewhere to go for lunch, speak to Nick, I guess. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> if not.